Welcome into TYT's The Conversation. I'm your host, Adrian Lawrence. And today I have for you APPI Victory Alliance Executive Director. That is Varun Nakur. Thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Adrian. Yes, so Varun, there has been an uptick in violence against Asian, Asian Americans. And as we're remembering the victims of the Atlanta spa shooting, which happened about a year ago, what do you think people are missing about how things have essentially continued to escalate against Asian people here in the United States? Well, I think it's sort of defied in many respects uh, conventional thinking that perhaps when COVID was on the decline, as it has been the last several weeks, that it would lead to a, a downtick in violence. And of course, that's not happened. It's still on the rise. And unfortunately, the the cases just get more and more gruesome with what we've heard in New York City the last several weeks and uh, frankly, around the country. Yes, they definitely have. And we've noticed that it has been um, just an increase in violent incidents against uh, largely women. Is that accurate? Uh, that's right. The The vast majority of incidents have happened. It's gender-based violence. And it it's really, uh, I think, confounded a lot of experts, uh, policymakers. And I mean, there's several things we can attempt to do. But I think uh, for the most part, we have to sort of demystify who the AAPI community is in the United States. And uh, I think then and only then can we get down and drill down to sort of what the root causes of a lot of this violence really you know, is sourced from. And so can you uh, help demystify that? Yes, so we represent a community that uh, are origins from 25 nations. Uh, in Asia uh, that span uh, on the west from Iran all the way to the Pacific Islands. Uh, we represent the origins of uh, more than half the globe's population. Uh, and we are certainly not monolithic in any respect. Uh, there are, I'm sure, through lines and common threads amongst uh, many of our peoples, but uh, we speak over 100 languages and dialects. Uh, we've come uh, to this country, uh, you know, Chinese and Japanese Americans have been in this country for 10 generations uh, or longer. And we also have uh, a large immigrant population, 60 to 65% of AAPIs are first generation immigrants. And so that is sort of the vastness, the complexity, the uh, intergenerational nature, some of the language barriers that we face as we arrive in this country. And uh, I think we we need to really be doing more research on our community. We are probably one of the least studied demographics in the United States. Uh, of course, the fastest growing and we have been since the year 2000. And uh, so there's a lot of things to really understand about this very complex community. And uh, uh, I think we, we need to make some uh, reasonable investments, uh, unreasonable investments, I really should say, uh, you know, going forward, because we are on track to be the largest minority group in this country in the next 20 years, if, if current trends hold. And as you mentioned, uh, the AAPI community is a very large and vastly diverse one at that. And so when it comes to that uptick in violence, are you seeing the attack primarily on one particular subset, such as East Asian, Southeast Asian? It's primarily uh, East and Southeast Asian. Anybody that looks 
Asian in, you know, in many respects. Uh, occasionally, we have seen uh, violence uh, against the South Asian community, but that's been a little less so. Uh, a year ago, when we had the uh, the horrific shootings in Atlanta of the spa workers, uh, about two weeks later, there was a, a similar incident, a shooting at a FedEx facility in Indianapolis, and that was uh, primarily against Sikh Americans who were, you know, turban-wearing Sikhs. And so, uh, uh, but in this case, it's been predominantly female. It's been predominantly East Asian. Really seems to reflect the intersectionality of this crime uh, in terms of assaulting these women. And so, can you speak to at all why they're targeting women in particular? I think, quite frankly, I, in some respect, they are easy targets, yeah. uh, and um, it's primarily, uh, you know, males attacking females, and and so um, I think they uh, in this in these incidences, it's primarily I think, uh, you know, uh, men going after uh, uh, you know females who are are the most vulnerable, who you know are in some cases maybe easy to uh, attack because they 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 might not fight back or they might not know of course you know somebody was pushed off a, a subway platform right and it's caused a lot of uh, in new york city and and it's just caused a lot of angst and um, a lot of nervousness uh, and fear um, for people to even go out of their own homes and uh, you know, it it really is, quite frankly, probably one of the most vicious things that we're we're facing in society right now. Of course, there's um, other groups that have been targeted uh, historically. Uh, right now, it just seems to be our community. Okay, and so uh, they are targeting primarily Asian women of East Asian origin. And uh, you know, I'd love for you to talk just a little bit about why, particularly East Asian. Uh, we talked about women, but um, why is it still being the target? Well, of course, it was sourced by our last president, who used vicious rhetoric to uh, coin the virus as the China virus, and. And it it sort of led from there, and I think a lot of that rhetoric is still permeating throughout the country. And uh, it it uh, people just want to have somebody to blame for the last two years of lockdown. Okay. And would you say that there's anything that can be done to help reduce these instances of what seem to obviously be hate crimes? Well, federally, the administration. Uh, actually passed a law uh, last May um, during AAPI Heritage Month. Uh, that has not really led to much and was criticized by some. Uh, there are some in our community who feel, for example, there needs to be more police enforcement and some who feel that uh, perhaps that is not the best thing that we should be doing right now. Uh, but I, I really have to say, I think a lot of folks are rather uh, you know, confused about where we go from here, uh, and that's why I really focused uh, a little earlier when I mentioned that we're the least researched, uh, one of the least researched communities in the country, is that because our community is so vast and diverse uh, and still fast growing, has these language barriers, that we need to spend more money on researching um, the dynamic, the interplay 
uh, w- uh, you know, with our community being in the United States as as one of the newer uh, immigrant uh, populations. And I think then and only then can we come up with additional policy prescriptions. Right now, we just don't have enough. We don't know enough about our our, our communities, and if we don't know enough, we're I think just tinkering at the edges about what really can be done to stop a lot of this vicious hate and crime that's being perpetrated against our community right now. Now, I would definitely say that there is a lot of knowledge out there and that it all leads to white supremacy. And once we acknowledge that and also our roles in that system and how we and certain groups also uphold white supremacy and also the male patriarchy, then we can start to see how this interplay plays out. Because what I have seen in instances where you have this kind of almost interracial violence that is perpetuated by people of marginalized groups against one another, that as a result of that, that that's essentially just a play on white supremacy. And and so when we continue to have this oppressive structure system, then we are going to continue to have behavior like this where you have people fighting amongst themselves, so to speak, as opposed to attacking the system that holds them all down. But as people continue to recognize that we need to stop this at every level and we also need to work together to fight against this, is there anything in particular your organization is doing at the Victory Alliance? Well, a year ago, we launched the first ever AAPI think tank in the nation centered here in Washington, D.C., where I am. But that is just sort of you know the first inning, right? We, we're just getting off the ground. But I agree with everything that you said about white supremacy and you know, traditionally, I would say if if the white supremacy movement has had traditions in our country. Of course, they've had long traditions in our country. Our people were sort of held up as a wedge to divide Asian Americans against Latinos, against blacks, against even indigenous populations in this country. The so-called minority myth, the well-known model minority myth. And and so now it seems that, you know, Perhaps while in, in some sort of really weird way we were held up as models, uh, now we're being attacked. And we always have been, but now it seems to have reached this unimaginable uh, height. And we really have to you know, um, call it what it is. It's white supremacy. Absolutely agree with what you had said. Yes, that's something we do have to call it what it is. And we also have to address it, attack it, see what we are doing to uplift it and dismantle that. And I think that will all put us in a better position to truly have a more egalitarian society. So for anybody who wants to get involved and to uplift your organization or to get more information, where can they go? Certainly on our website, aapivictoryalliance.com, Action AAPI on Twitter, Action AAPI on Instagram. Wonderful, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you and all the work that you do in uplifting the AAPI community. And my heart goes out to my Asian brothers and sisters in terms of the oppression that they are facing and these violent attacks. And if you are out there and you see something, don't just say something, intervene to the extent that it would be safe. And please learn more about what's going on around you and how you can interfere and stop it. So I wanna thank you so much for joining us, Varun Nakur. That's AAPI Victory Alliance. Thank you, Adrian.
It's Adrian Lawrence and my lights are all back on. So that is great. And I'm also excited to welcome in an activist and progressive attorney who has been running for the Democratic nomination in Ohio's US Senate race. I'm talking about Morgan Harper. Thank you so much for joining us, Morgan. Thanks for having me. All right, Morgan, now I'm sure it is quite the challenge coming ahead running for that US Senate spot. But what attracted you to run for this particular position? Well, I mean, we really need to win and not just win elections here because that's, that is an important piece of this, but also to have the win mean something and to be able to implement policies that's gonna make sure that everybody gets access to opportunity. That's been the whole story of my life. And that's what slipped away for a lot of people across the state of Ohio and moving in a more progressive direction with progressive policies like universal healthcare, like creating jobs in the clean energy sector is a way to really chart that new path forward for us as a state. But in order to get that done, we have to start running people who actually connect with the electorate in our state and have a message that folks will think is worth showing up to vote for. Yes, and I know that we need a lot of people to show up and vote. But there's also been a lot of concern in terms of voting rights and really getting being able to get people to the polls, especially when they're from marginalized groups. Is there anything that you are particularly doing to try to overcome that? It's a huge issue here in Ohio. I mean, you know, one of the reasons why, so our primary is supposed to be May 3rd. There's still a lot of uncertainty around that because we have this bipartisan commission that's supposed to be drawing fair lines for the congressional state house seats and they just didn't follow the law. And this partisan gerrymandering is what they want to continue to pursue. And so, you know, I'm, I'm very much in support of legislative efforts to ban that and would support that in the Senate. But in the meantime, yeah, we need to have grassroots mobilization to be able to ensure that folks can exercise their right to vote. And so, you know, actually, before I launched this campaign, I started a, an organization called Columbus Stand Up. We got a rideshare program going to get people during the pandemic to both the polls to vote, to vaccine appointments. And so, just working together at the community level, showing people what's possible. But ideally, we have legislative solutions that aren't gonna make all of this grassroots advocacy as necessary, that we just allow people to exercise their rights. Yes, definitely having people exercising their rights and you know, playing a role in our democratic process is supposed to be what the system is all about. But we know that it has a number of failings. And I know you have had your own journey when it comes to running for office. I understand that you had unsuccessfully challenged a Columbia area representative, Joyce Beatty, for her US seat in 2020. What did you learn from that? Well, that was you know really a, a magical experience in a lot of ways because you know the same sentiment that I was hearing from people in Central Ohio that motivated me to get into politics of you know this disillusionment that has only intensified over the pandemic. I would say we saw that with a message of hey look I'm not another politician I'm not trying trying to make a career out of this I'm not taking money from corporations is a winning message to break through and make people to believe make people believe and so we saw you know a huge amount of support during that campaign and now as I've been traveling statewide in the Senate race. It's only more of a sentiment. I mean, if you look at Ohio, Columbus is one of the few areas in the entire Midwest that's been growing over the last 10 years, but definitely in Ohio. But when you get into other parts of the state, folks are feeling very acutely what has not been working from an economic policy perspective for us as a country. That we've had so much consolidation of opportunity and power and very large multinational corporations that have hurt small businesses and us as, as workers, as working people. And so, you know, being able, and this is what's so critical in this Senate race is for us to have a nominee that is not just business as usual, traditional Democratic politician, but actually is being honest about what hasn't worked 
is carving out you know, a vision for what we could do that's different. That is the only way that we're gonna overcome the disillusionment apathy that has really taken hold of our state and encourage so many people now to just not vote at all. It's no longer whether or not somebody's gonna vote for a Democrat or no, maybe they're gonna go vote for a Republican. It's that they just are gonna opt out altogether. And that is really, really dangerous for all of us. I understand that your main primary opponent is Northeast Ohio rep Tim Ryan, and he's been endorsed by a list of those top Democrats there. But would you say he's more of an institutionalized Democrat as opposed to a progressive voice such as yourself? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, completely institutionalized. The other important thing to know about the fact that, you know, cuz some people look like, oh, you know, he's been in Congress for 20 years, but the gerrymandering works both ways. And so when you have a safely gerrymandered Democratic seat, you're not really having to garner a lot of support, campaign, work hard. Um, so that that doesn't mean as much. And in fact, you know, this last cycle, my main Democratic primary opponent, Tim Ryan, had a very close election in what was supposed to be a safe seat and lost his home county to a Trumper. And so when we look at in this race, what is going to put us in the most competitive position to have a Democrat win this seat? It is in fact moving in a more progressive direction. It is having somebody that has more true populist message to counter what's happening on the right. Because they're throwing out this faux economic populism, they don't mean it. Folks like Josh Mandel, who I've debated twice in this race, they have no ideas, no substance. But what's their attack? It's career politicians like Tim Ryan. It's people that have been in Washington that haven't gotten anything done that a lot of people in Ohio blame for their problems. And the only way that we are gonna have a chance of defeating that is by running somebody who actually means what they say who really does have a vision for creating more economic opportunity for people all over the state and is willing to risk their career to get it done. Yes, and it sounds like that person is you based on what you're describing. But also I'd love to know more about your platform and what you're looking to have changed. Well, I'm a big believer in things like raising the minimum wage, Medicare for all, universal health care. And you know, what's really interesting too in this race right now is because as we know in mainstream media, they often will make it seem like, oh, you know, these are so out there, these policies, people don't support that. But we have data that shows the majority of people who are likely to participate in this Democratic primary are on board with things like Medicare for all, right? Because People, including even folks who lean conservative in some ways, know that what's going on with big pharma, big insurance isn't working and is leaving us less healthy. And so we need to stand up to that and make sure we have universal coverage, also, also being able to control costs. So that's a big thing for me. And then investing in clean energy jobs, jobs of the future, and want to create up to 600,000 over the next 10 years in our state. We can address the climate crisis and also bring more opportunity to places like in different regions in Ohio that have been devastated by failed economic policy over the past 40 years out of Washington. And is there anything specifically that you think is holding Ohio back right now? Failed leadership, leadership that's become more about itself, that's taking money from the corporations. My opponent in the Democratic primary is one such person who also has flip flopped on things like Medicare for all and no longer supports it. And in, in that is what has to change. And also what people so desperately, desperately wanna hear from the next US Senator is why, are, why can I trust you? Why are you different? And I am able to point to people and say different because I'm not try, trying to make it a career out of this. I'm self-imposing term limits, two terms. I'm not taking corporate money and I'm grassroots. No powerful person tapped me on the shoulder and said, Morgan, it's your turn. And quite the opposite. Actually, I've just gone to regular people who have also said, I'm sick of it, just like you. And we, and we want something different. And we have the opportunity to get that in this election and be able to have really unbought, unafraid leadership go to Washington and just 
be very aggressive about delivering resources to our communities across the state. Yes, that definitely sounds like it's something that would be a change for the people in Ohio. But I also know that a lot of people will follow name recognition as well as who they may feel more comfortable with because they're hearing those buzzwords. And the thought of change can be scary even if it goes to their benefit. So how are you overcoming those limitations? That's a really important point. And you know what's interesting right now and why I think there is such a big opportunity is what's scary is what we're living through. And a lot of people are are fearful of where we're headed based on the levels of violence that have been hitting a lot of different areas, gun violence, homicides, suicides, especially young people committing suicide, suicide, the fentanyl epidemic that has become a rural, urban, suburban issue. There is a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety out there in addition to the economic opportunity and, and mental health. There's a mental health crisis you know, that a lot of people are recognizing at all different stages of life. It's not adding up. It's not working for us. How many of us are actually in a position to be pursuing an American dream at this point? And when is enough enough? And and my message is right now, enough enough, enough is enough. We have the ability to change this. And the scary thing is continuing to run the same types of people who will lose and lay the groundwork for more and more of these Ohio GOP people who do not care about us to only increase, intensify their power both here and in Washington. And the thing that the only rational move is to actually reject that and move together towards the future and really demand what we all need to be okay. Yes, without a doubt, I'm definitely here for change and it's something I would love to see. I do very much get afraid that the system will go out of its way to keep individuals such as yourselves from getting to a place where you can truly be one of those decision makers as US Senator. But I know that if it's something you're passionate about and if you can persuade the people, then you can definitely make it happen. So I'd love to pose this hypothetical in terms of day one. If you're elected into office, what would be the first thing you'd do? Ooh, that's a big, that's a big one. I mean, you know, I gotta be responsive to what I'm hearing from people, and you know, the level level of violence that's happening is just atrocious right now, in long, young lives being lost, and so being able to pull together stakeholders, all levels, you know, folks from public, private sector, grassroots activists, to just have a game plan within 90 days about what is it going to take, policy perspective, to address this, so that we make sure that we're keeping young people safe. Top priority of mine, and you know, and I'll just add on top of that. And I want the, to be crystal clear to everyone who's watching: is we, this is our moment. Those of us who really believe in progressive policies, who believe in progressive leadership, we have the opportunity in Ohio to completely change the trajectory. And you're, you reference, you know, in many ways, the biggest barrier is just resources. Getting my name out there, making sure people know that I'm running, because we have the data that shows once they know, they're into it. And so we just need everybody to support as much as they can and help us spread the word as quickly as we can before May 3rd. Yes, and so where can they go to contribute to your campaign or find out more about you? MorganHarper.org is the website and MH4OH, MH number 4OH is my handle on all social platforms. And again, would just very much appreciate everyone's support in this final stretch. All right, thank you so much for joining us. That's activist and progressive attorney Morgan Harper, who's running for the Democratic nomination in Ohio's US Senate race. Thank you so much for joining us, Morgan. Thanks for having me. Best of luck.